Thank you and good morning. It's good to be here and to be able to serve as your director for the Pensacola Bay Baptist Association, a little over 60 churches from Century to Interity Point, Gulf Breeze, and all places in between. As a native of Pensacola, uh, I didn't think Escambia was this big, uh, but it is. And so it's good to see you. Been able to see many friends here this morning, people have been able to serve together through the years, friends from school, and, uh, and all points in between. Uh, here's what we're doing as an association. Our job is to help the church be the church, for you to be able to reach your potential as the church. We had three great teams that kicked off this past Thursday. One is an encouraged team, and their focus is to make sure that all the pastors are encouraged personally and professionally. And so we began that strategy this past week. The next is an equipped team. That uh, responsibility of that team is to make sure every church has the training it's needed in order for you to reach the potential that God has for you. And that's just not one size fits all. With over 60 churches and our plan by 2030 is to be at 100 churches, we want to make sure that you are equipped for what God has laid on your heart. And the last of all is the engage team. That's for us to reach the mission field that is Escambia County. Over 316,000 people live in Escambia County. The number of people who are classified as nons, actually they increased by 25% from the year 2000 to 2010. And so we know that there is a great need for us to engage this mission field. Since I've been your director since June, I've already coordinated three mission teams from outside of our state wanting to come here to Pensacola in order to do missions. And so my thought is, if the rest of the community, if the rest of the country sees Pensacola as a mission field, shouldn't we? And so we want to make sure that you are equipped with the opportunities and the skills in order to reach this mission field that is Escambia County. And so it's my joy to be able to help you and help all the churches be the church to accomplish what God has placed upon your heart. Our text this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We will actually tackle this entire chapter this morning, focusing on a title is The Might of the Member. The Might of the Member. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read it together. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led away astray by, to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another the gift of healing by the one Spirit. And to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to them, to each one individually, just as he wills. For each, excuse me, for even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also in Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is for this reason, excuse me, it is not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. 
And if the ear says, well, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, well, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, well, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, well, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Again, the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem honorable, less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it, and God has appointed to the church. First apostles, second prophets, there's teachers. Then miracles and gifts of healing helps administrations, various kinds of tongues, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you still a more excellent way. May we pray. Father, this is your word. I ask that you speak. And as I am your microphone for the moment, Lord, may I speak clearly. And if I were to stray one syllable, please remove me immediately as we want to hear from you and you only. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. There is no greater agent in the world, no greater agent in the world than the local church when it is functioning right. Think about it for a moment. Lives are transformed. Families are restored. Chaos is put into order. Futures are rewritten. The orphans, they finally are embraced. The lost are found. The least of these are valued. They're written off, or they're lit, written in. There is no greater agent of good in the world than the local church when it's functioning right. And as the people who are gathered here this morning, who are the church, that can be a heavy joy to bear. How can we accomplish being the greatest good in the entire world? But thankfully, God has not designed for the church, and we are the church, to accomplish this great good on our own wisdom, on our own creativity, on our own power, but instead for us to follow his wisdom, and he has given us the Holy Spirit who is able to guide us according to his word. Now let's speak just for a moment, first of all to the individual, and second of all to the church. First of all, to each individual authentic follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. And he has given you, the repentant person, a brand new life. See, it is the Holy Spirit that is that agent within you by which we are adopted into the family of God. It is the Holy Spirit that is that internal GPS that is able to guide us according to his word that is a lamp to our feet and a light into our path in order for us to accomplish God's will in the world and for our lives. It is the Holy Spirit that is within us chipping away at every single thing in our life that does not look like Jesus Christ, so that as we grow older in our life, we can also grow up 
and holiness. And also it is the person of the Holy Spirit that is able to keep us in his grip, guaranteeing our salvation until we cross over heaven's welcome mat and see Jesus face to face. Now this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it would be overwhelming for the Old Testament follower of God. See, in the Old Testament, everything before the Acts 2 encounter of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit dwelt upon people temporarily and situationally. So don't be surprised that when you get to heaven, there will be Old Testament saints come to you You people who have followed Jesus Christ after the Acts 2 Pentecost, that's all of us here. I don't think anybody here is that old. But we know that since that Acts 2 time, a situational shift took place. So the Holy Spirit is not just dwelling upon people situationally and temporarily, but rather he is dwelling within people permanently at all the times. So don't be surprised if an Old Testament saint comes up to you on your first day in heaven and asks, I got to know, what was it like for the Holy Spirit to live inside of you? I want to know what that's going to be like. You want to ask questions of them? Know this, they're going to want to ask questions of you. Well, beyond the gift of the Holy Spirit given to the Christian individually, the Holy Spirit also works in the entire church corporately. See, it's the Holy Spirit that fosters unity here in your church at Hillcrest. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to have fellowship with one another despite the diversity and the differences that are between us. Further, it's the Holy Spirit that ushers people near to God through our worship gatherings such as this. And it's the Holy Spirit who is known as the great comforter who is able to minister to the people within the church and also to the people on the outside of the church through the people who are the church. So how does this take place? Well, the chief way that the the Holy Spirit brings about this work that I've just described within the church is through the Holy Spiritual Gifts. Let me describe for you what these spiritual gifts are. Spiritual gifts are Holy Spirit-empowered skills that are given to every single Christian so that there can be a good benefit to the church, an advantage to the church. So get this, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you have stepped over the line of faith through the grace of Jesus Christ at some point in your life. Know this, at the moment that you confess Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit moved into your life to give you direction, to give you guidance, to bring about conviction, to be that internal GPS, to chip away everything in your life that does not look like Jesus, to do that throughout your entire life. He grips you in the grip of grace, but also as a housewarming gift, he brought spiritual gifts with him and he deposited them into your life. You say, me too? Yes, every single follower of Jesus Christ was given spiritual gifts. Now, there are many spiritual gifts. I want you to look up at the screen. Here's just a a picture of many of the places recorded in Scripture that outline some of the spiritual gifts. We know that in Romans 12, it lists some of the spiritual gifts. In Ephesians 4, it lists some additional ones. 1 Corinthians 7, some more. 1 Peter 4, a couple more. And in our text before us this morning, 1 Corinthians 12 lists many more. Now, some of these lists, they're duplicates. We see one on one list and one on the other. 
We also know that some come in verb form, others come in in noun form. And so we don't have a singular list recorded in Scripture that is an exhaustive. That is just all the gifts that are out there, and we can say this is all there is. But we do know there are many. And there's a variety of gifts. And there's combinations of gifts. Therefore, this morning, you have, as a follower of Jesus Christ, at least one spiritual gift, if not more. And it can look different, your gift to the person next to you, different from all those around you. But there are many, and there's variety. But every gift, just that you look to the person next to you and say, hey, you got a gift. It's okay. Go ahead and look. You can interact. But we know this is that all of our spiritual gifts are given by the one and only, the same Holy Spirit. He's the one that gives us. Therefore, we do not campaign for our spiritual gifts. There's no reason to go around at the beginning of this new church year with a button on and say, hey, vote for me for mercy. That is not something that we campaign for. But rather, because it is God, he's the one that created us. He's the one that saved us. He's the one that sustains us. His wisdom put all this stuff together. He's the one that chooses. Here's the spiritual gift for your life that I want you to be able to use. So he decides. Now this text before us shows us how the spiritual gifts can help any church out there reach their redemptive potential. Now this morning we will not have time for you to be able to identify your specific spiritual gift, but I encourage you in your small groups, time with your pastor and your leadership team, I encourage you to discuss this. Accountability partner, man in the mirror, women's group, whatever it might be, for you to discuss and identify and grow in whatever is your spiritual gift. Now I realize that many people today are quite discouraged about the moral collapse of our culture and the strain that seems to be upon the American church. It seems like we are heading into uncharted territory. But I tell you this, church, we are not. Ecclesiastes 1.9 informs us that there is nothing new under the sun. We've been here before. History has been here before. This truth is affirmed through Scripture because the effects that we are experiencing today in the 21st century are some of the exact same situations that was happening in the 1st century in general and in the city of Corinth in particular. For the Apostle Paul to address such a demoralizing and discouraging day, he writes this letter, this first letter to the church at Corinth. It really could serve as a manual for church revitalization. These are churches who have plateaued. They desire to have a turnaround in order for them to reach their potential. And 1 Corinthians could literally be a roadmap towards that end. Let me just give you an example. Chapter 1 is a basis of church unity. Chapter 2 is how the the Holy Spirit rests within the life of a church. Chapter 3 is the foundation for how a church can be founded on for living. Chapter 4 is the basis of servanthood. Chapter 5 is the biblical parameters when there is sexual confusion in your day. Chapter 6 is what do you do when people begin begin to be sue-happy and legal-happy in the church for there to be order when people feel they're wronged. Chapter 7 is biblical marriage and divorce. Chapter 8 and 9 tackles generosity and financial matters. Chapter 10 It deals with how do you learn from the mistakes of others. Chapter 11, how do you have worship? How do you have order in worship services? Chapters 12, 13, and 14 is spiritual gifts. And chapter 15 is answering questions about the resurrection. If any church 
should follow 1 Corinthians and learn from those principles for their lives personally and for their church corporately. That church will be well on their way to experiencing revitalization and achieving their redemptive potential. Again, there is no greater agent of good in the world than the local church when it is working right. And so this text in 1 Corinthians 12 gives us three guides for us getting there in light of our gifts. First is this, our spiritual gifts are for the common good. Our spiritual gifts are for the common good. This core idea is expressed in the seventh verse. Here's what it says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. The common good means profitable or for an advantage. Thus, any church, any church is able to have an advantage in this world as the people who are the church. That's you and that's me, us who have crossed over the line of faith. We're able to have an advantage in this world when we press in to the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has placed within us. So here's the principle, really. When all the people of the church all the people of the church press into the giftedness that God has placed within them. Into the variety of giftedness, revitalization will happen within and global impact will occur without. When every individual in the church presses in to their giftedness. Your spiritual gifts, I don't know what they are this morning, but you have them. You're like, I didn't know I had them. You have them. Your spiritual gift is God has something God has uniquely given you so that this church can be an advantage to this community and to the world for the purposes of God. Your life, your spiritual gift is one that says, we are a better place. You add value here because you are pressing in to the spiritual gifts that God has placed within you. It is not a life that says, I am here to receive religious goods and services as some types of ecclesiastical consumer. No, rather, you are an individual that presses into this church being an advantage in the world when every single member of this church, every single follower of Jesus Christ, presses in to your giftedness. See, spiritual gifts are, are not given by God just for you to improve your life. My giftedness is in administration. I'm the one that likes the, to write the policies and procedures and guidelines. I'm one of those individuals. But God has not given me a spiritual giftedness of administration just so that I can organize the books in my office or for me to be able to write policies and procedures for how I can drive my Jeep. No, God has given just me the giftedness so that I can help the church, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 40, function in a fitting and orderly way. God has not given your pastor the ability to teach just so he can sit in his office and preach to himself. God has not given you the worship team and your worship pastor just for his time to sit around in his office and strum and sing songs for his personal enjoyment. No, his, all your leadership team's spiritual giftedness is for your benefit. Aren't you thankful for your staff here at Hillcrest? You had a great staff. And see, as they press into their giftedness, it's of benefit to you. And see, as you press into your giftedness, it's of benefit to the rest of the church as well. Thus, there is a sector of your life, there's a portion of your life that needs to be leveraged for the common good of this church. It could be teaching. It might not be teaching. It could be leadership. It could be helps. It could be mercy. It could be an encouraging 
But get this, God has given a special mix of spiritual gifts to this church, uniquely to this church, so that it can be an advantage in this community and also in this world. And God has given another unique set of giftedness to other churches for them to accomplish another unique mission in the overall glory of God. And see, what happens is when that church presses into them and then presses them, that's the love and that's the work of an association. We come together. And so Jesus Christ can have the work of an advantage here in this world. Let me to tell you this, though. Your spiritual gifts can adjust. How many of you have been here at Hillcrest more than 15 years? Slip in. Many of you. More than 20. But not. Still all over the place. I remember as a kid just going from church to church, just when we were going from home to church, been able to see this church pretty much my entire life. And I can say this. If you have been here for any length of time, your church has changed. Every church has changed. But know this. What your church needs today in 2018 is different than what it needed in 1988 or 1990, whenever. It shifts. So there's a difference in what is needed for the common good. And so God can adjust, he can dial, he can tweak your spiritual giftedness over time so that it is for the common good of the church in this day, for God's kingdom, for such a time as this. Also, we know that if you were to move cities, move from a church to another church, God can also adjust your spiritual gifts. It might decrease in one area, increase in another. You might decrease in a, a teaching opportunity, increase in administration. Like, I didn't know I was gifted in this area. Why? It's not about you. It's for the common good of the church. And so what might be needed in a different city in that church is different with what's needed in this city and in this church. So God adjusts. He, he does this. He also gives our giftedness in relation to our faith. Can you imagine, you realize that when you follow Jesus Christ, he's given you a giftedness of teaching? Hey, by the way, I'm glad you're a brand new Christian. You have the gift of teaching. Next week, you're preaching to the entire church. You might look for a different opportunity. But see, God will always give you the degree of responsibility in line with your faith. And as your faith increases, as you mature in your Christian walk, God dials up your spiritual gifts in order to use them at a greater capacity as he needs so you're not crushed under the weight of your giftedness. But this good, it needs to be for the common good of the church. So, But second is this, it's also, it's complementary. It's complementary. Now if you were to look at a graphic of the human body, man, it's quite the jigsaw puzzle. There are 206 bones in the human body, 79 organs, between 650 and 850 muscles moving back and forth, flexing and contracting, being fired by 46 miles of nerves. There's 100 billion neurons that are in the human brain, even though I think there's some sectors that have far less. The shoulder bone connected to the arm bone, the leg bone connected to the hip bone, bone to cartilage and tendons and all points in between. No parts of the body are alike, but yet they function beautifully together. Why? They're complementary. This is an image of the body of Christ, of the church. Now, coming back to our text, this means it's the person with the gift of administration coupled with the person with the gift of helps coupled with the person with the gift of teaching. Nobody's alike in this room. We are looking around. We know God has a good sense of humor. 
when he created us, but nobody's alike, but they work together. They are complementary. This is why your service in the church is so vital. This is why there's a whole display out in the foyer of opportunities for you to get involved because your service, even though you feel, oh, I'm insignificant, I'm a new Christian, I can't be used, I can't be leveraged. As a new Christian, God has still put the Holy Spirit within you. And this is why it is so important for you to press into your giftedness and serve. God has uniquely gifted you to be joined to other members of this church for the common good. But if there is one single person that does not press into their giftedness, I mean one single person that does not press into the giftedness that God has given them, putting it for the common good, the whole entire church suffers. Consider if this were to happen, this failure of partnership within the human body. Your neurons in your mind fail to fire. It messes with whatever needs to happen in your muscles. Therefore, the muscles aren't able to move along to your bones, and there just comes disruption in your whole physical makeup. Think for a moment if your leg bone chose to take a vacation right before you went on your Disney vacation. What if your stomach took a vacation on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving? One part fails to serve to accomplish its creative purpose, and the rest of the body suffers as well. Friends, every single one of you are needed. Every single person. All must work together. All people of the church must press into their giftedness. Why? Because there's no greater agent of good in the world than the local church when it's functioning right. This leads us to the third guide of our gifts. Our spiritual gifts, they are not in competition. They're not in competition. Not everyone will serve in the same way. Not everyone will assist your church in reaching its potential for what your leadership has laid out in 2018. You're not gonna do that the same way. Not everyone will fulfill the common good of your church in the same way. Because according to this text, not everybody teaches, not everybody leads in singing, not everyone works with children. There's some of you that scare children. Don't you dare serve in that area. Thus, for us to give a higher value or a lesser value to a certain part of the body just because it's different, is akin to saying, well, just because we can see the hand, it's a little bit more prominent, that means I guess we don't need the liver. It, it, that, that doesn't make sense. Now, I'll admit, there are some people in the church that can function like an appendix. They can just blow up, blow up and kill us all at any moment. <laughs> don't look around. Y'all are looking around like, you're the appendix. Don't do that. But like in the human body, there's some parts of the church that are, that are more visible than others. They're more prominent than the other, and some are hidden. Some parts of the church, some ministries, some different things, they're, they're more prominent, they're larger, and others are smaller. But all of them are vital, and all of them are important. So there's no reason for, for judging or embarrassment to say, man, I'm not that important to this church because I'm not doing that. There's no reason, God gave you the giftedness. There's no reason for judgment or embarrassment between the gifts. 
The same principle extends to churches. It does not make sense for Bible-based Christian churches to compete against each other. It's the same Holy Spirit that has given just the variety of gifts to the churches. Each church is unique. Now, I have to ask this question. Is there anybody here that shares my love of marble slab ice cream? Let the redeemed of the Lord say another mixin'? Yeah. Here's what we know is that for Hillcrest, God says, this is the flavor that I choose for you. And because of all the people here, here's the variety of mixins that I have put in to Hillcrest. Now, I know we all are going for lunch today. But here's, here's the, the mixin, here's the flavor I've given for Hillcrest. And you go down the road to another church or another church, and God's given them a, a unique flavor and a, a, with a new set of mixins. It's not no reason to, for them to compete against each other. But see what happens when we partner together, two scoops, three scoops. See, the world is able to taste and see that God's good. And so this is why we partner. This is why we're just working within the Pensacola Bay Baptist Association. But when we begin to compete against the other in the church or we compete between churches, what happens is, is that selfishness and imbalance and competition moves in and stress levels rise. Disease and discouragement also moves into the church because the body works best when all parts are working in their created area. God has given your church excellent leadership. Their responsibility is not to do the work of this church. According to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, their responsibility, their biblical responsibility is to equip the saints to serve, to give time to equip you and how to use your spiritual gifts. They don't sit around in their offices and preach to sing to each other. Rather, what they are to do is to literally function as the church's personal trainer, your personal spiritual trainer, in order to raise you up to your full potential. So how do you accomplish this? Well, at the beginning of a brand new year, there's some ways that you can begin to ask just a couple questions I want to give you for you to answer all throughout the year. Your pastor comes to a, a brand new topic or a brand new series. Your small group, you adopt a brand new project. Or your leadership here that says, here's the strategy, here's the new direction for the new year. As soon as you hear, as soon as you hear that message, as soon as you hear that new strategy, as soon as you hear about that new project, you need to prayerfully begin to ask, how can I use the giftedness that God has put within me for the common good of what my pastor has just taught, the leadership has just laid out before us, or the project that my small group has just adopted? That's what you need to ask. And also be an encouragement to others. How can I help other people press into their giftedness as well? And see, when you do this time and again for every single sermon, for every single small project, for every single mission opportunity that comes, you're going to be accomplishing God's will for your church. And he's going to be accomplishing God's will for your life. And God is going to get unbelievably greater glory as you press in to your giftedness. See, we don't move forward in the kingdom of God by our efforts. The Old Testament writer Zechariah, he said, you know, the kingdom of God moves forward power forward not by power or might but by the spirit of god but listen closely we can't replace using the spiritual gifts with just coming and sitting and listening and gathering for songs god did not give you spiritual gifts just for you to be a spiritual 
consumer. His desire for you is not just to be spiritually informed, to be educated, or just for you can say, oh, I go to this church. He wants you to be his hands and feet. Now, how do you do this? Here's where we wrap up. You do this through love. Now, I cannot count the number of weddings I have done through the years. About 25 years in ministry, and I forgot how many weddings, but the vast majority, the couple will say, can we use 1 Corinthians 13? What is that? It's the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, love washes clothes. You know, just goes through the whole thing. (laughs) Well, through all that, do you know that this love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it's actually placed right in the middle of the spiritual gifts section, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. See, it's not about us. The way we live out our spiritual gifts, whether it's helps, whether it's mercy, whether it's administration, whether yours is teaching, whether it's singing, whether it's greeting people, whatever it is, we do it in love. Patiently, kind, without jealousy, without bragging, without arrogance, not acting unbecomingly, not seeking our own, taking to account a wrong suffered, not rejoicing in righteousness, but rejoicing in the truth, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things. Why? Love never fails. A church won't go wrong if you're pressing into your giftedness clothed in love. Hillcrest did say this, your church needs you. If you're a brand new Christian or if you've been a Christian a really long time, your church needs you. Needs you to press into your giftedness that God chose purposefully to put into you so that you would use for the common good of this church so that it could be of advantage in this community and in this country and in this world. God has given this church every single thing it needs to accomplish what God desires for it. The question is, would you put that work, which is you, into action? There's no greater agent of good in the world than the local church when it's functioning right. In a moment, we'll have a time of response, but here's how I would like for you to respond. I would just really, in a time of prayer, for you personally, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to say, God, would you just begin to show me how I'm gifted? How could I press in to just the way God has, God, how you've wired me? How can I help this church be of an advantage? So many people say, I I want a better church. I want a better church. I want a better church. (laughs) Okay, you be a better follower of Jesus Christ, and you've just raised it. And so you spend a time in prayer. Others of you, you know. And so here's what I ask is, I know in a couple weeks, there's going to be Discovery Hillcrest, I think on the 21st of this month. And you've attended Hillcrest for a long time. But now it's time for you to get connected. Be a member of the church, part of the body of Christ. I believe what you need to do, you can let the folks know out in the, in the foyer. But I know you just contact Rita in the office and say, I want to be a part of that Discover Hillcrest. So we can, I want to be a part. I want to press in to my giftedness so that Hillcrest can be a better place. I'm going to come as a consumer of religious goods and services. No, I'm going to come to make Hillcrest a better place so God can get more glory. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Just if you even need to take out your phone and even while we sing, you just send in an email to read, count me in, I'm there. But there's all these other ministry opportunities I know are in the foyer. You need to put to work what God has pressed into you. That's applying scripture. Every one of you, according to 1 Corinthians 12, God has given a manifestation of the spirit in you 
for the common good. It's not for you, it's for him. And so in 2018, let's put it to work because there's no greater agent of good in the world than the local church when it's working right.